beep, 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 beep. News alert. Hey, going to open this up with a save the date. Mark off on your calendars the weekend of December the 15th from Friday night into Sunday evening. That is going to be the weekend we do Duck Stream, fifth annual Duck Stream. That is crazy. Uh, Duckstream is our charity streaming event uh, where we play games to benefit the Transactive Gender Center out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, so please tune in, watch for details on the old social media, and uh, dig deep because it's a very good cause. And it makes a huge difference for those kids. All right. Uh, once again, weekend of December 15th. Thanks. <laughs> This is Gary Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a Games Club podcast. And this week we are reading your responses to uh, the games that we played in November, specifically Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, our live episode about playing games wrong, and Blood and Wine. Mm-hmm. Blood and Wine. Blood <laughs> Boys, Wine Boys. <laughs> Um, the, uh, yeah, so everybody came out in force. Thank you guys very much. Yeah. Uh, just as a reminder, if you have anything to say about Baldur's Gate 2, um, hit us up, uh, duckfeed.tv slash contact by mm -hmm. the 15th of December. And, uh, we will announce at the end of the episode what we're going to be doing in January. So stick around for that. Yeah. And, uh, that deadline is January 15th. Always the 15th. Um, <laughs> I, I was going back through just some old podcasts, cleaning things out. Um, and I realized that video games hot dog already did the best Baldur's Gate joke. Oh, what, what is that? Baldur's Gates McFadden. Oh, the actress. I don't know yeah. if that's the best. That's very good. <laughs> it's a very, I, good we one. might all do better than that. That's good. <laughs> the best one I've seen so far, I suppose. <clears throat> that's good. That's good. I, I feel like we might be able to. Yeah. I just, I just want to, I want to put this in your ear. We're recording that in a week. So yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm 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 doing good. I'm like way on schedule. I'm fucking dining on it. Like this <laughs> this has been an awesome return to like a, a a period in my life that like when you say it out loud sounds dark, but isn't where I was like unemployed and waking up early to play CRPGs. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, and, always the best feeling. I'm 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 trying to do that more. Like specifically waking up early to play games. That's how I've been mm -hmm. doing uh, Marvel Spider Man mm -hmm. this past week or yeah. so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you enjoying Spider Man? Oh, it's so good. It's good, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it is. I feel like it has ruined open world games for me. Yeah. Like I, I haven't started. I haven't played one since. But like, uh, it is. It's just like, man, boy, why would I not want to move around like this? <laughs> you know, like this is the best way to move around in a video game. Yeah. No, I mean, like, this is the, 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 this is even better than how I remember Arkham City feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like it's like significantly better. Yeah. The best feeling, like video game, it's joyous. Like it, it's it's yeah, extremely joyous and expressive and like kind of challenging. Yeah. You know, just enough to be engaged. Like it's perfect. Yeah, like the first the, thing the, I spent points on was the ability to do to do tricks while I was swinging. It's it's great that people do that. Like we, I mean, me and Jeremy talked about this a bunch. Uh -huh. yeah. So like, there's there's no there's no waff on the horizon of that. But me and Jeremy did kind of like a, a waff side mm -hmm. on it for days of future cast and like the uh, the fact that they can kind of count on most 
I don't know of most players, but the fact that like a lot of non-combat, non-useful options are in the skill tree that are just for the the movement. Mm -hmm. And those were the first ones me and him like both bought. And you bought one of them was the first <laughs> thing you bought was that where it's like, this isn't going to help me in fights or anything. It's just so fucking fun to move around in this engine that like having speed, greater speed with that or having new abilities with that is just like, uh, if you haven't done it, do the, um, the point launch, like the, the point launch skill upgrade. Oh yeah. I've done that. You just go, okay. you go like you're, you're basically achieve orbit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can just continually like get faster and faster and like the super fun. Yeah. I'm going to patch in Marvel Spider-Man's movement into Baldur's Gate. I'm going to have all my like, six little guys just like, <laughs> like scooting across the screen all super fast while I'm continuously putting in like arcane uh, keyboard shortcuts and like function keys and stuff to try to, <laughs> to maintain it. So here, here's the thing. I think that you would be able – so what we need to do is start you up playing uh, Baldur's Gate and then mm -hmm. just like just like like a dad releasing his kid's handlebars, just just alt tab over to Photoshop with all those oh, yeah. with all those keyboard tabs. I think you might be <laughs> yeah, able to yeah. learn some really – learn and do some really cool stuff. Or just like make some really weird abstract art. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, just like make me close my eyes or delete everything on your computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just, yeah. And just give myself the, uh, the dumbest, uh, you know, dumbest virus. <laughs> that, that program. Uh, but no. yeah, it is, uh, it's, it's, I've been, I've been really enjoying it. I, there is a good chance I will actually be done with Baldur's Gate by the first time we record. Nice. Uh, I won't be, I, so. no, it's a, it's okay. It's, it's yeah. a, it's a ridiculously long game. Yeah. Um, speaking of long games, uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about this episode. Yeah. Segway. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, we also released another episode. There's a bonus episode this month um, that we did uh, that was a Kickstarter reward from my Kickstarter that I did quite a while ago. Like, it was, it's a late reward. I still have one last thing to get done mm -hmm. with that. But, um, well, you two of those things because we yeah, have the book yeah. to do the audiobook. Yes. yes. Um, but there's a, a, a fake Watch Out for Fireballs on Atomic, uh, which fooled a lot of people um so so good 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 on us i guess yeah i suppose the, uh, yeah. uh so so some people uh tweeted saying like hey uh you know you, you got me i thought this game was real some people wrote in emails uh saying okay. hey i i've looked everywhere for this but like atomic is like the the, the namespace is really polluted can you like send me a link to it because i want to play it mm. um i feel bad because what that means is people to some degree trust us yeah don't <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you can trust this. I think that that's that's just kind of funny. Like pretending like it's real is is the joke. Yes, you know. And if we had just been like, okay, guys, you know, in the beginning, like, <laughs> right, here's right. a fun little exercise we're going to do. Like that would not be mm -hmm. that that doesn't that doesn't fit in with my like particular form of wankery that I like to do. No, no, of, like pretending not. like those things are real. So I don't I don't feel bad. No one was hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, just wanted to put that up here i responded to people who wrote in saying like hey yeah this is not like a mandela effect thing you have not shifted into a different reality yeah nope it is fake yes we made it up <laughs> you um, made it up i just kind of oh, played along we, we made it up i, I think that like the, the people asked about that and i was like well you know as far as stuff that was like in the manual and book like all, all that stuff was based on it but we also made up a lot of individual details so it was like at least like a 50 percent made up content by volume it was fun so yeah super fun yeah. um it would be fun if we didn't have like a million other things going on i think that would be a very fun concept for a podcast it like <laughs> if you and i ever get sick of doing actual games <laughs> like and either we just take turns maybe we do one episode a month because it would take a lot of like extra writing and stuff right right but like take turns pitching a game mm-hmm and then doing a fake up like an alternate universe <laughs> version of like what that was yeah um 
that, that would be fun. We I mean we talked about that. I forget like do we talk about that at PRG? Did or do we record that after? I forget when we recorded that. Um, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. It would be fun. I don't think we I don't think we talked about it at PRG. I think we recorded that at, or I think we recorded it before but released it after. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we recorded it back in my old house. So hmm. um yeah. Uh moving on to uh I'll get us started here with responses uh to uh Hellblade, Sanity, Requiem, <laughs> um Thund- Thunderfist, the uh yeah. Um Hellblade Senua's sacrifice. Gordon says via contact. The thing that really struck me, uh stuck with me from Senua were the frequent and intense close-ups on Senua's face. I don't think I've ever seen a third-player game do anything like this, and it gave everything a really strange and intimate tone. I've been watching lots of classic films lately, and those close-ups felt like an homage to a style of cinematography that has fallen out of out of style in modern cinema, and it reminded me a lot of the tone and pacing of The Seventh Seal. I wish I knew more about movies to talk about this with real knowledge, but it's made a lot made me a lot more excited about what can be done with camera work in games in the future. Yeah. And I think that that was so that 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 choice to spend so much time in close up on Senua weirdly was a budgetary thing mm. because mm-hmm. they because, you know, like you can only dedicate so much uh, so many resources to making assets and they put so much into uh, a- animating her face. They're like, we can just have the landscape of her expressions be the content for a while as this mm-hmm. is going on, as opposed to like making these sweeping landscapes. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, you know, and it is used to good effect. It does kind of. There are a lot. Of, there's a lot of that in the the Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. You know, which which also could have been a budgetary thing. Yeah, and I think about it like not that the Seventh <laughs> Seal is like a legendary low budget movie, but right. like you know, more less of a budgetary thing than and more of a just kind of like the novelty of you know they're still experimenting with cinema yeah. and just having like this be a close up on a guy's face for a while. Yeah, and the, the Seventh Seal is just like a. It is just a work of pure expression from front to back like that is all yeah. that they've got yeah <laughs> or yeah. it's, so it's like, not all that they've got it's it's what they it's what they were aiming for yeah it's the it's the, the intent so yeah good uh yeah. good pull yeah lots of lots of close-ups on uh faces and horror movies that's where you're going to find a lot of that like yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, yeah i mean the, the best the cover one, get out yeah yeah the, the best the best one being get out yeah um so thank you doug writes in via contact hellblade was one of my favorite entertainment experiences in a while I say entertainment experiences and not games because for me, generally, Hellblade's gameplay was decent at best and at worst, tedious padding. I think it's fantastic that tech and the marketplace are at a point where something like Hellblade can exist, and I hope more developers are willing to take chances like this. I think it's refreshing and freeing to just experience something new and different, even if it didn't fit the the traditional definition of a game. This isn't to say we need a glut of walking sims, but there is certainly a place for more of what Hellblade does best. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't mind more of this. Like I had individual problems with this specific expression of it, mm-hmm. but like, you know, nothing wrong with with more swings like this. Yeah, I mean, just good, like take, take this, do a postmortem, go back, mine for gold, you know, mm-hmm. take that and then use that as a starter for a new thing. That seems yeah, like a or- great way. Just like taking this general posture and kind of budget and scope idea and everything like mm-hmm. that and Absolutely. tackling other things, even of, of less importance. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't necessarily want just like a parade of, you know, games, you know, <laughs> I always get really annoyed by like the games for change category of like game awards, yeah. and stuff like games for change, games for impact mm-hmm. like that. I think that's annoying. I, that feels self-congratulatory and wanky to me yeah. and like always kind of has, I understand what they mean. Yeah. But, um, even just taking things with like kind of a lesser important scope, 
-hmm. You know, I'm not saying you like do this kind of beautiful lyrical exploration of what it's like to shoot soldiers, you know, in, (laughs) in call in, in like a war necessarily do something very commonplace, but it doesn't necessarily need to be such a capital I issue Mm -hmm. and still benefit from this treatment. Yeah. You know, and as we, we kind of talked about, like, some of that capital I issue, like that was cool in the way it worked, but it wasn't without its like criticisms. It wasn't like unfraught, right? You know, to do that, like maybe lowering your sights a little bit while still keeping this posture might pay dividends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, just take this, like they, 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 they swung for the fences, but got a, but, but got an in the park, uh, home run, like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe take this posture and shoot for more like in indoor, uh, not indoor in uh, in infield uh, singles stuff like that. Yeah, I know sports. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, go for a line drive. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um Gabriel says via contact. I thought I bought Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice without knowing too much besides the premise of mental illness and audio design and its universal praise from all my favorite gaming journalists and podcasters. I begin Senua's journey and after about 45 minutes feel like I may have wasted $30. I know it's a short game, roughly seven hours for me, but the story ran dry pretty quick in my opinion. The graphics are gorgeous, and I was impressed with the visual design as well as fidelity. I found the environments to be the best part of the game. The sound design was another strong point with its use of multi-directional voice, uh, voiceover, which did aid in the conveyance of Senua's psychosis, but overall I found it to be too much of a gimmick to have an otherwise shallow experience rely on. Another complaint regarding the audio uh, was the constant gasping and screaming. I understand the protagonist is terrified for most of the game, but after a while it was grating in the same way I found Dakota Fanning's constant screaming in 2005's War of the Worlds. I feel like in this case, Hellblade would have made a better movie. Would I recommend this game? Hella no. <laughs> a little goof there at the end. Yeah. yeah. And Sweet War of the Worlds pull. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. That's yeah, all right. It's Steven right. Spielberg. Like it's mid Dakota Fanning, Spielberg. Fanning scream a lot in it. Yeah. 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 She's a little girl like in the middle of a, in the middle of an alien invasion. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can see that. Um, I, I, I forget if this is the one, one of the, one of the messages came in with the subject line, Hellblade Senua's mouth breathing or something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. She, yeah. She does breathe through her mouth a lot. Yeah. So I can I can see that uh, hitting off somebody's what what's that misophonia maybe, sure yeah like reverse ASMR yeah you know I, I can see that and there's also just like whether something's like annoying audio wise mm-hmm. you know it can just kind of be grating yeah you know and that's that, that's not necessarily even worth like ex- like it's examine it's worth examining if you're like a guy who's like the lady on this podcast needs to shut up she's too shrill yeah v- vocal but fry also, come on yeah vocal fry but <laughs> guess, it also guess what my know, voice is all vocal fry. I can't listen to Nathan Rabin. Yeah. Like, you know, like he's, he's, you know, it's not, it's not always for, for sexist reasons, but I'm not, and I'm not saying Gabriel's being sexist. Right. It's just, you know, if something's unpleasant audio wise, like that's a Mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, um, like I had a more positive experience with this game, but I will say that it's like fallen off me. Like, like I'm a, a a nonstick pan, Mm. you know, like it's not really sticking with me very much Yeah, as, as like, I just like, boy, like, wow. You know, like in, Games that kind of deal with this stuff that like stick with me and kind of ask me questions and stuff. And I think that's what ultimately is the difference for me for like a game that has that's about something important. Right. You know, is that like when they when they stick with me, you know, and you're like your masks of the betrayer and your planescapes torment and such, uh, they ask questions. Yeah. So like I come away from it being like with something to think about. And I didn't come away with hell from Hellblade with something to think about. It wasn't like really chewing on it. Yeah. You know, I was like, that was that was, you know, that. We, I said this a lot during the episode, but it just is, has remained really true is that 
the most valuable part of it to me was a tourism thing. Yes. Like, what is it like to experience this? And that's interesting. But even something like Night in the Woods, which also dealt with themes of mental illness, came away. I had more of a question. Yeah. Afterwards. And that is like stuck with me in a more positive sense than, than Hellblade did. Yeah. I mean, you know? it might be the difference between between sugar and fiber. Like a lot yeah. of the stuff that a lot, a lot of the stuff that makes Hellblade remarkable is ultimately sugar. Right. It's, yeah. It's production value. Sensory. Yeah. Yep. You know, which is cool. Like, that's good. That's important. And it helped. And it did, like, immerse me mm -hmm. in it. But that it ultimately, for a game that was so, like, difficult and kind of, like, meant to be very challenging and unpleasant, like, there is a candy-likeness to it, mm -hmm. you know, in, in terms of that. So, like, yeah. So, I, I, same thing. Like, I did. I definitely feel more positive about it than Gabriel. But I do have a little bit of that sense of just kind of like, yeah, like, you know, what now? Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, it, it's definitely a thing. But. <laughs> yeah. And, for, and from a crass commercial point of view. Um, at least you wasted thirty dollars, not sixty. Like, it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like this was an easier throw for that. One hundred. I don't know what thirty dollars. I I don't know what thirty dollars is to you, but you know, could yeah. be could be different. Yep, yeah, I, I definitely get it. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that, that's a thing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Chris writes in via contact. Val Raven is a supernatural being from Danish folklore and not Norse mythology. Without diving into some Silent Hill wiki levels of misinterpreted symbolism, this could be considered strong evidence that the events of the game were occurring in Senua's head. She may have learned of Valraven from Druth or any of the others in her clan. I extend special praise to the overall art direction and soundtrack for this game, both of which I find very unique to the experience and what I remember from the game a year later. I was disappointed when the announced physical release did not include a soundtrack. Womp womp. Mm. Lastly, there is a lot to be said about the game's depiction of mental illness, but I wanted, I wanted to take a quick moment to reiterate the game's overall message of acceptance. I've had consistent periods of severe depression my entire life. I was lucky to stumble across the revelation of, accept, the revelation of acceptance a few years ago, and once I did, it freed me to take the necessary steps I needed for self-care and management. Hellblade's message may stumble a bit, uh, but with any luck, that very specific part of the message has resonated with some out there who are fighting their own battles with any type of mental, mental illness. I feel like the game deserves some kudos for at least even attempting this message in a medium where this subject is often treated as a gimmicky mechanic or fetishized in some other way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can see that, but I also think like the undercut or the argument against that is that by what is the difference between fetishizing the issue and the superpower angle of it? Yeah. I don't know. You know, with, with, with Senua, like mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's as clear cut. Like, you know, like it, it does deserve some credit for trying something, but if you're engaging in the thing you're trying to avoid, like, you know, yeah. you're, you're engaging in what you're engaging in. And like, it's, it's not a, a total miss on that respect, but there is just enough of that kind of like, you know, the acceptance is a different message than like, you know, this is a this is a thing that actually helps you and it is you're superior because of it and you yeah. can succeed because of it. So 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 you know? so it definitely attempts to have both of those things. Like yes. the, the the message of her squeezing her hand and the voices getting quieter but not going away. I think mm -hmm. that, that 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 is a cool and laudable thing. Yes. Uh, but it also goes along with it being, you know, super but the, yeah. The message of her like being able to advance in her quest because she can see patterns where other people can't. Yeah, yeah. You know, because of because of like explicitly name checking paranoia, which is like a nightmare. Yeah. You know, like that's that's not like nobody likes that. Yeah. You know, like even you know people who suffer from that, it's not like a cool like, you know, oh, I just see the world differently. Like, 
Yeah. yeah, that's actually like kind of a, you know, the people who responded well to it that are in that documentary responded well to it because it was cool to see something that they experienced presented. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, hey, this is actually saying something good about the thing that I'm, you know, like I didn't see as much of that. Yeah. It was more about a presentation. Yeah. And and you know? I, I, I hope it goes without saying, but it feels it feels worth reiterating, you know, specifically for anybody who's listening who might who might deal with this. If if you played Hellblade and saw anything that resembled a stepping stone on your own path to wellness or your own path path to accepting then Yahtzee that is that that is fantastic for you we're not trying to diminish that by saying that those those, those stumbles felt felt significant in our reading of it so yeah, I, not, I understand it's fraught yeah not not at all and also I mean I guess it's just it's a it's a, a fine point but it's what the the specific thing here with this response I'm thinking of is the difference between recognizing a step mm -hmm. and um you know, see, seeing something presented and seeing like an argument made. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like you might see like a step that you made on your your thing, uh, on your journey towards yeah. towards mental health or you mm -hmm. know toward towards acceptance, um, and being kind of like encouraged or pushed or saying something about it. Yeah. You know, like it, it's it's like the it's like the Bioshock thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like presenting objectivism versus having a commentary on it. Yeah. You know, and like. Where Hellblade is really, really good is in present presentation. Yeah. Like it's very cool that it presents this thing that is not presented well, generally to like mm -hmm. Chris's point, which is true. Um, not generally presented well and is a rare thing to see at all and is cool to see. Yeah. What it has to say about it is where the the stumbling goes, and they're different issues. Yeah. You know, like you can you can get the and, and both of which can be worth a cookie, right? Like mm -hmm. it is it is worth lauding somebody for presenting something that's rare to present. Yeah. Uh, but also what they say about it is also important. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the, the, this this is a separate this is a separate point, and it is not so much a criticism of this game as it is kind of a you know a way of pointing out a larger a larger trend. I always feel a little bit weird, you know, especially in the past few years about liking horror games as much as I do because they often rely on stereotypes about mm -hmm. mental illness and things like that, and specifically the stereotype that mental illness you know immediately makes you violent. If you suffer from yeah. a kind of psychosis, you become some kind of killing machine. That's what makes it fraught to me, especially, and something that is kind of soured in my estimation about Hellblade is that, yes, it is an exploration of, 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 of psychosis, but because it is a video game that is wrapped up in her being more effective at being a killer. Yeah. You know, like so. advancing, like solving, solving puzzles, which are not like that are always towards the end of more victory and mm -hmm. more combat. Yeah. You know, so even when she is like seeing patterns in the trees, it's to get to the next thing she has to kill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on, yeah. on her way to on this quest. Like, yeah, yeah so. that, that's definitely true. And that, that's like a, an interesting thing about horror in general. Like, it's mm -hmm. not just games. It's yeah, just yeah. horror as a genre. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, amazingly proud of this. I don't think it's a sophisticated way, but the way I've square that circle is just like i don't care <laughs> like I, you know, yes. I understand that you have like you have to care and there are specific uh presentations that are like bad uh -huh. you know but i just uh for me like it, it's a thing that like uh you're just you're afraid of what you're afraid of mm -hmm. you know and i'm not afraid of because of of uh mental illness that makes me you know that makes me harmless i'm afraid of mental illness that makes me uh violent and stuff yeah you know so that being presented as as like a fear um you know it's just like that's that's horror in a way it's not yeah, all horror yeah, yeah. Yep. you know but like and it, it's not always it's even when it's not done like schlocky it can still be there's like a lens in which it's like super problematic mm -hmm. 
you know, yeah, uh, and yeah. it's just like, just, I can't, you know, same thing with a, a deformity too, mm-hmm. is a big thing. Like horror is a lot about like, you know, Lisa Trevor, who's like an extremely sad character is also horrific because she's gross. Yeah. You know, you know. like, and that's just, that's just the and, case. Yeah. And also resembles, I mean, like what Rosemary Kennedy, right? Like actual horrible things that have happened in the past. Yep. And, and that's, you know, that's scary. People mm-hmm. don't want that to happen to them. That that touches something that like goes beyond your brain, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why it's effective. So like I I go back and forth on how much that needs to be argued with. Yeah. You know, like how much that it's good to be aware of it. But also like I just kind of, you know, have decided like I, I just I can't, you know, like I, I just kind of can't. Yeah. So, yeah. Just, yeah. I, I'd be curious. I want to read more about that because people who I consider woker than I am are also real big horror fans. Mm-hmm. It's a it's, it's a real stripe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No. I don't. Know. Um, I don't either. <laughs> uh, finally, about uh, Hellblade, Lauren says via contact. I've been listening to your shows for a while, but never really had much to contribute to the conversation, or at least before the deadline for listener comments was up. But I guess I'm lucky with Hellblade. I really appreciated your conversation around it, especially since you were more balanced in your appraisal. As for me, I loved the game. It came out on my birthday, and I played it over the course of two sittings. I never had much of an issue with the pacing, if I'm honest and found the dynamic difficulty to maintain just the right level for me. The repetition in the combat didn't wear on me. On the contrary, I felt like it was trying to convey almost a feeling of how mundane fighting these kinds of demons can become. Having suffered from anxiety and depression for a long time, I feel like I know that feeling I feel like I know that feeling on a personal level. I felt more like I was there along with Senua, slogging through the blood water and changing half-made or charging half-made Viking monsters. <laughs> I think the camera did a lot to help with that with the movement closer to Senua when you press the advantage. More than once, I found myself yelling with Senua as she threw herself against some foe. I definitely had a similar problem to Gary in the end, though. I think I fought the enemies around Hella for around 30 minutes before they, it finally, uh, before they finally downed me. Wow. Uh, the rune puzzles didn't offend me, at least they bugged out, or unless they bugged out, and the FMV action worked for me the same way it did for Cole. I wouldn't call Hellblade fun, though. It's more like exhausting, possibly cathartic. I felt so drained at the end of the experience that I just slumped back and watched the credits roll. Speaking of, I recognized that song at the end of the credits as being from VN, VNV Nation, a band that I and an ex-partner really appreciate. So while the two of you found the song a disconnect, I cried my eyes out thinking about a broken relationship after being totally emotionally exhausted. Ooh. Yeah. We, we, the, obviously, us making fun of VNV Nation. I, no. We didn't mean anything. No, no. Personal of that. It's uh, I, that, that's a... Uh, and also... I think it's fair to say that's not they didn't expect you to be the the normal reaction to that. Right. Like they're just like, you know, most of our players have broken up with this guy. Or, you know, this <laughs> our research, market research shows that most of the people who are going to buy this game dated this specific person. <laughs> so like or the, you know, I I yeah, I think I think that it is a, you know, uh, uh, a little bit of a disconnect is a, is a valid response. Not that your response is invalid. Right, right. You know, having that personal draw is definitely like a thing. Yeah. So, yep. No, I, I didn't realize that that song was from was from a band. So, <laughs> well, you mean? Yeah. Just, <laughs> no, no, I know. Just, just like that's a very damning thing to say, and I know that you didn't mean it that way. But it's a very funny thing to say. Like, it's not the kind of song that comes from a band. <laughs> <laughs> I just like you know. I figured in in my head what, what what I thought was this was a little bit like a Bastion kind of thing, where the developer just you know had this song that he that he thought resonated and either performed it himself or hired some people to you know perform a studio version of it. I thought that right. it was. I thought that it was. 
was bespoke. Like written not, for the, yeah, the game. I thought it was bespoke, not licensed. I thought it was... Like the song at the end of God Hand. Y- yeah. 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 Uh, you know, or the theme from House Party 2 by yes. Belle by Bel- Bel- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah. I think that's that. Z to the O to the R to the R to the... Um, <laughs> o to the um, yeah. And the, uh, uh, the, the thing too about like Lauren's response is that like, I wasn't so far away from that in that the pacing and the things that like were nitpicks, like I, I also, I think that it was something that was attempting to be, uh, kind of tedious to be cathartic as opposed to fun. It's just, that's a, a difficult line to ride, mm. you yeah. know? And it's like one of those things where it's like, if you, if you sensitivities are going to vary and if you go over that sensitivity like tedium is you know we talked about this during the episode like tedium is just an extremely tricky thing to experiment with it's it's a it's a real high cost dangerous tool you know it's a gun with like a barrel that faces both ways like you just have to be extremely careful when you use it yeah you know it's my special revenge shovel it digs two graves at the same time yeah exactly (laughs) it's mostly two shovels taped together (laughs) yeah Yeah. um and Uh, my my apologies you saw (laughs) My apologies, House Party 2, I don't know what you came to do. Uh, it was not by Belle Bit DeVoe. That was by Tony, Tony, Tony. So oh, I, I apologize. Yeah. I, it was it was another it was another R&B group with uh, uh, with three with three components. Yeah. Less less New Jack Swing. <laughs> right. The old uh, the old Tony, Tony, Tony. But yeah. No. Huh. <laughs> Uh, so here's a story about playing games wrong. Uh, Samuel wrote in via contact saying, this episode reminds me of how my cousin and I often played Super Mario Kart and Mario Kart 64. Initially, we played Mario Kart like any other racing game, but I kept winning, so my cousin suggested we play the levels in reverse. Mostly, we would explore how far off the track we could get. This was especially fun for Koopa Beach and Vanilla, Vanilla Lake levels since we could push each other into the water for goofs. When my cousin got Mario Kart 64, we continued our off-road adventures, and those 3D levels made exploring all the more exciting. This was especially fun for DK Jungle, Calamari Desert, and Koopa Troopa Beach. But the creme de la creme for Mario Kart off-roading was driving around Peach's Castle in Royal Raceway. I remember us spending hours trying to get inside the castle, because my cousin heard there was a way to do that on the super trustworthy 90s internet. And people say fake news is a recent issue. Yeah, I definitely loved uh, going and checking out the castle. And I I wasn't somebody who had tons of affection for Mario 64. I just thought Mm -hmm. it was cool that you can go to the castle. Yeah, I recognize that. Yeah, reading this made me wish that, like, even in modern Mario Kart games, there was a way to turn off Lakitu. Oh, yeah. Just to get the game to stop, like, I I know uh, what you mean by turn off. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, you know, season. Pull. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> grab the super scope like, we'll, we'll play uh lucky and wild but with mario kart the super scope oh fuck god yeah, i want just... i want lucky and wild i want something with lucky and wild so bad now i want i want lucky and wild but good yeah lucky and wild is terrible it's a very bad game but it's yeah, such it's a good concept me and allison played that when she came up for for prge and oh, it's yeah? awful is that is that at uh is is that a uh ground control it's a, it's a new ground control yeah okay and it's like so cool, but it's such a bad game. Yeah. I didn't realize that in Lucky and Wild, the driver shoots too. Yeah. It's like one person just shoots and the driver shoots and drives, which is like, mm. that seems like a, a lot to do. Yeah. But that's yeah, a really bad game. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that would be really cool with a super scope though. Yeah. Like Yoshi Safari, but like mixed with Mario Kart. Hot damn. Yeah. Yeah. And we should do like, we should get super scopes into a super scope episode at some point. <laughs> Did you did you like the super scope? I never owned one. Oh, uh, like they're, 
I, I, it was fun. Yeah. Like I, I really liked my super scope. Like I played a lot of super scope games. Yeah. Like, the, uh, the, the, the light gun, the SNES light gun that we had in my household was the one that came with lethal enforcers. So it was, mm. the, it was the Konami one that looked like an oversized handgun or like an oversized, okay. uh, an oversized revolver. Um, and I liked that quite a bit, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, a, never... a light gun game would be a, a cool thing to do Yes, at some point. Cause we've never done that. And that's, I, I spent a lot of time with uh virtual cop on Saturn. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Same yeah, here. I love that game. Yeah, yeah. I, I never had a I never had a gun for my Saturn, but I pushed I pushed that little cursor around with the D pad like if I like my life depended on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was really fun. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, and Nintendo make that lucky and wild Mario Kart game, please. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So th- thank you, uh, thank you, Sam. Moving on to blood and wine responses, the bulk of the episode. Uh, Frank says via contact. Hey, just listening to the first blood and wine episode, and you guys talked a bit about if Geralt ever deals with Oriana. I believe that the launch trailer, A Night to Remember, is supposedly Geralt returning to deal with Oriana. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's some good planning by CD Projekt Red if it is. Uh, and that is true. Yeah, maybe that's some um, just cut content, possibly. I don't know. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know if it's good planning, but that is what the, the trailer shows. Yeah, it would have been so. nice. Would have been nice to follow up on that. Like yeah, maybe I didn't, cut- uh, like, since I got into Witcher 3 well after the fact, like after mm-hmm. the hype, I didn't watch any trailers for it or anything. So yeah, I didn't, yeah. had not seen that trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for pointing that out. Uh, there was also the message uh, somebody wrote in about Envoys, Wine Boys as well. But I think we mentioned mm-hmm. that in the, in, in, the, in the secondary quest episode, the revelation mm-hmm. that we got. Um, so I'll pick up with Cal, who says via contact, both of the Witcher expansions made me realize something very obvious and important about redemption. The subject must have done something very bad first. We talk about, uh, we talk about this a lot with soft examples most of the time, but the Witcher is one of the only games where it feels like a question, even if the games consider for forgiving Olgird and Siana uh, to be the ultimate good. If Geralt at least goes the extra mile to find the truth of the matter. The Witcher is a game about passing judgment, but avoids the pit, the pitfalls of gray-on-gray morality to face suffering and abuse with tempered mercy, where the right thing to do is difficult in many ways, but always worthwhile. Also, Regis kicks ass. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, I'm parsing that first, I get that second part, I'm parsing the first sentence, or the first clause a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, realizing something obvious and important, the subject must have done something bad first to redeem and how that so like is the idea that redemption only has value if the weight of the thing that you're being redeemed for is and i I also wonder if this is like comparing this to other media like if this is this means like as a story construct like redemption really works as a story construct if the subject has done something truly monstrous and that's why these things work yeah so i mean like I, I I tell us good this out to think about just morality systems and games in general. Like a lot of the times a game will test you based on your, mm-hmm. your conception of morality, not by asking you to make a choice for yourself, but to look at what somebody else has done and decide if they decide if they deserve punishment or not. And mm-hmm. like a lot of morality, you know, as is the case with a lot of morality systems, when that pops up elsewhere, it can often feel like a straw example, right? Whereas here you are doing that as Geralt, but they raise the stakes so much, at least with the main characters of both of these, the main antagonists of both of these DLCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's this is an interesting response because like if if I think about it in those terms, like as as a game thing, um, what is what is the game trying to say by making both the characters redeemable? I also I, I feel a little different as far as that like with Siana, 
um, you know, we talked about that in the episode. It's a little bit sloppy that like it's only she's only really redeemable at all if you do one branch of a thing that's presented as equal branches. Right. You know, like you might not see that stuff with Olgarit. It's interesting because I don't feel like like, you know, it's it's not a good act to side with with the devil mm-hmm. in any way. But I think that they ride that so much harder. And he's such a he's like a much better character than Sienna. Mm hmm. That like the idea of redemption is much more of like a question mark. Like that feels like a demon souls thing as opposed to a dark souls thing. Like yeah, it is, yeah. you know, it it's really a even odds whether that's a thing. I know we fell down, came down on different parts of that, but like <laughs> to me, like Ilgird was not, you know, it didn't feel like an unquestioned good when I to redeem him. When I when I think back to Hearts of Stone in general, one of the things that really makes me appreciate it much more than I think I otherwise would is that the the act of doing the show made me realize that both of us took almost the exact opposite approach um, mm-hmm. to the various choices within the main quests, uh, and we both had we both had valid reasons and rationalizations for it. Mm-hmm. Like that is uh, remarkable. I think that we could come on that we could, that we could come down on such different sides, but still make you know, cogent cases for ourselves. It's because, I mean, it's, it's kind of plays into that Hellblade thing. It's cause it, it's like a game that asks questions, Yeah, you know, like it was, it's, and even the fact that I can still think about it now, like I still think it's interesting and it's worth thinking about whether like old gear deserved redemption, mm-hmm. you know, like to me, you know, it, it's not necessarily presented as the ultimate good, mm-hmm. like, like a super bad dude, you know, and they, they, and I think the game made a lot of case for that, yes. you know, like I, I don't, I feel like the game was also presenting. That's not just me being like, you know, presenting that. So the fact that that's still really interesting to talk about just kind of shows like how remarkable that is. It's a really remarkable piece of, of storytelling. Yeah. God, it's good. <laughs> super good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that like going into it, blood and wine, just try to do so much more that it just can't, it, I don't think it did that, that aspect of it nearly as elegantly. Like it's interesting. There are questions in it. Like, you know, like, can you deny your nature? Like, is it, you know, is it worth trying to deny your nature? Um, you know, things like that, but it's not as elegantly handled, Yeah. you know? So, um, uh, thank you, Cal. Take says via contact. When I first arrived at Toussaint, I went around and hoovered up all the quests. So for the longest time, I didn't realize the house where those two people were loudly having sex was quest related. <laughs> I would always pass by on my way to cash in those night quests and be like, yep, looks like they're still doing it. <laughs> Shine on, you crazy it's diamonds. Like, yeah, go sting. Um, my other comment was I'm rather bummed that you can't kill the witch in the quest where the lady turns into a tree. It's a weird dangling thread in a game that gives the players so many options otherwise. Mm. Yeah, I always just I just think of that as her just being presented as outside of Geralt League. Yeah, yeah. You know, the same way you can't kill the the crookback bog, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think she's presented, presented as quite as like cosmically powerful. Right, right. But she is kind of like the witch of tales, you know, like she's doing, you know, it's based on a fairy tale, this whole thing that the, the guy had read and stuff like, yeah, she is a, a very powerful, like mythic witch. Yeah. Um, and like, no matter how that quest shakes out, she gets what she wants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's real. Yeah. Uh, it's a real problem. Yeah. Um. Because Daphne suffers either way, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and I ne- so I never noticed the 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 sex sounds uh, coming out of that house. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, good yeah, good ear. Yeah, good good ear. That's, that's a very funny like way to get a quest. Like walk by and hear people doing it and just knock on the door and be like, <laughs> you know, sure, you know, like just yeah. <laughs> I, I, I heard your I heard your arrhythmic bucking, and I wanted yeah. to give you some tips. <laughs> Carol, will you knock? <laughs> yeah. You have to hang a pantaloon up on the door. Yeah. So Carol oh, doesn't come, 
come sniffing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Andrew writes via contact. Thank you, Take. Um, I played The Witcher 3 for the first time after Hearts of Stone had already been released, so I was able to go directly from the base game to the first expansion, both of which I loved. The wait for Blood and Wine felt like an eternity, not only because I wanted more of one of the best games I'd ever played, but because with an evocative name like Blood and Wine, it had to be great. Sound logic, I know. While the expansion story started out well and had good elements, the vagueness over whether the curse was real or whether Sayana conformed to her behavior, conformed her behavior to people's preconceived notions of her was a great touch, it never grabbed me the way the base game or Hearts of Stone did. And then, and then there was the final boss fight against Deadlaf. I finished all other Witcher 3 content on the normal difficulty level, and the only fights that gave me trouble were the Velen Werewolf and the Ophiary Mage. Bo but those were both cakewalks compared to Detlef. After banging my head against that wall for hours, I finally looked up a guide to figure out how to beat him, and the best advice I found was turn down the difficulty. I didn't because I'm stubborn, and I eventually beat him, but I didn't feel a sense of accomplishment the way I did against those other tough Witcher 3 bosses. I just felt exhausted. And yet, I'd still recommend Blood and Wine to people. It may have a terrible final boss, but it also has a quest about searching for a statue stolen testicles, so it evens out. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, difficulty is a thing that, like, Witcher 3, for all of its, you know, like, people who I who I know who don't like The Witcher 3, mm -hmm. a lot of times that's what it is about is them not liking combat or not liking the way that it's, like, balanced. Yeah. You know, and it's a, a thing where, like, the game is just being so much that, uh, you know, I had them having kind of like, I, I can see kind of the spot they're in with it, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, the, the contrast that like the, the bases, the, the rebel bases or whatever were like a really fun challenge for me. And, and a game that like had gotten kind of easy by the end of Witcher three. Mm -hmm. So like when I went to blood and wine, like going and doing those, I was like, Oh, this is like different and actually is demanding me to engage. Like it's, I, I find the combat in Witcher three engaging in general, but I had to engage at a higher level. And just, again, you know, it's a throttle, and they just maybe went a little bit too far in that. Like, I definitely didn't spend hours on the final boss, but I do think it's probably, you know, kind of obnoxiously tedious and hard. Yeah. If I have any complaints about the difficulty in The Witcher 3 in general, you know, from stem to stern, it is that it is very uneven. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would not generally call it a difficult game, except there are those encounters that, you know, I reload over and over again. Um, yeah. And I feel like that is you know, it's a throttle, but they're trying to like achieve a couple of different things at different times. Like, okay, do we want you to, you know, do we, do we want to face you with difficulty so you can have the actual feeling of accomplishing something monumental, or do we want to present the idea or notion of difficulty? Um, but in, but in reality, what we are trying to do is make you feel good about having Geralt do something that should seem difficult. Right. Yeah. 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 It's just like there are a bunch of different there, like every encounter kind of falls on a different side of that. It feels like, mm -hmm. you know, is, is Geralt a badass because he's a badass or is Geralt a badass because of what you bring to it? Yeah, it's really it's very interesting uh, doing that and then uh, playing Baldur's Gate 2 for the show because Baldur's Gate 2 is, has a lot of really challenging encounters um, and it is a really great expression of like being a game that is uh, kind of breakable in a way mm -hmm. and it does a throttle where like the uneven difficulty if you have a game that is more um like immersive -y or player expression -y, you can do 
more uneven encounters because you always have a way for the player to kind of like game the system. Mm -hmm. And Witcher 3 is a little bit too polished for that. Like it is too good and big of a product and a little too modern in sensibilities to allow you to really like game it. You know, so something like that, like that final boss encounter is very cinematic and they have a very controlled perspective on like how it's, you're going to be in an arena that's very tight. Um, you can't like run off. You can't, uh, you know, do you can't mess with the AI. You can't do anything like that. So the uh, it has to just be boiled down to it's like pure combat, which is not perfect, right. you know, like is not like super great. So it doesn't have that feeling of like uh, player ingenuity that can get past a thing yeah like there's no way to be engine to, to think your way past mm -hmm. that encounter right you just you have know? to understand when he's yeah but when he is about to do which attacks and get out of the yep. way yep you need to you need to read it you need to treat it like a dark souls boss yeah and it doesn't have tells as, as good as dark souls does mm -hmm. you know it's not made for that um it doesn't it's not that it doesn't function as that like i got through it just fine yeah it's yeah. just not as like elegant and like you know, to my mind, like Dark Souls stopped doing that as well as Dark Souls does, too. Mm -hmm. You know, like I I don't find it fun to read Madeir's tells. No, like, you know, I like the end boss of Blood and Wine more than I like Madeir. You know, like it's it's not uh, it's not just Dark Souls does it good and, and Blood and, you know, Witcher 3 does it bad. Mm -hmm. But it is just like Witcher 3 is a little bit better at the encounters where you do have a little bit more expression, like you're in an open field. You can kind of do spacing and bait the enemy mm -hmm. or you can lead them to where there are soldiers or something like that. Like you can do tricks like that that are typically, you know, in a game that has like this cinematic of a presentation, that's like rare. Yeah. You know, uh, but that that would have like when they get rid of those options, you really just kind of it's just bam there, like stark contrast. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, Tom says via contact. Hey, I just wanted to send in a tinfoil hat theory about Blood and Wine. See, I have developed a fun way to play the endgame while also getting the happy end. You can follow the Unseen Elder quest line until you straight up have to go into his cave. At that point, you can go LARP Little Red Riding, Riding Hood to your heart's content. It makes me think the expansion was missing a third act. I mean, a real one. As far as I can tell, I'm not supposed to be able to follow Oriana's quest line if I do the, st the storybook quest. Or maybe my guess is that they were uh, individual quests that got combined, especially considering an entire MacGuffin got hidden behind a trash merchant, a merchant of trash, I mean, and all of the fairy tales come off as a simplified side quest. It's an amazing expansion, but it does feel like the real third act was never finished. They may have made side contact and side content into the main story. It would explain the lack of Detlaf on screen development after the party scene or on screen development after the party scene. That said, I do have to say, the part of the uh, ending we needed most was Geralt's ending. That was satisfying, no matter the love interest ending or anything. I don't know what else to say that you all won't. Regis was a high point of the books, and I'm glad to see him back, walking his own path. As a side note, I love that the trailer for the main game was actually a tie-in to Blood and Wine. I didn't catch it until I heard Oriana sing, or when I rewatched the trailer and saw Beauclair Castle. Finally, I just want to say thank you uh, to you guys because you all went above and beyond making what amounts to a mini bonfire side chat podcast. You did a deep dive on one of my favorite games. Thank you uh, both for uh, your coverage of The Witcher 3. Good luck on all your future podcasts. Happy Thanksgiving. Have fun with Baldur's Gate 2. We will. Yeah, I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just uh, uh, just wrapping up uh, chapter two. Finally going to go into the, like the leaving the city hmm. stuff. So, um, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Um, yeah, and, and agreed, like some of the, the stuff in there. So the, you know, to, to clarify, just in case people forgot the, the proper nouns, like what Tom is saying is that you can do all the orphanage stuff and then go still do the Oriana ending. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you don't go into the cave, you don't do the vampire lord stuff, but you do get the the lead up to it. And talking about how the ribbon, which is like the ultimate thing that gives you the good ending, is literally somebody who sells junk and, and drugs. Yeah. Is how you get the ribbon. So like that is weird, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe that is like a side quest stuff that got kind of rolled in or, you know, a rare thing in the game. You know, this game with this, this kind of like, again, polish, like a uh, thing that does feel a little like just sloppy. Yeah. Like shows you know signs of maybe meddling or or changing things at the last minute. Yeah. And I have no idea like what kind of pressure was on them. Like that kind of weird pacing or botched third act is almost always the sign that they had to push it out the door well before it was ready. Um, and that doesn't seem to stand a reason given that this DLC came out like a year after the main game or thereabouts. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It seems like they would have enough time, but we don't, we never know. Yeah. And, like, there's no insight know, into it. Who knows how many people died making this because CD Projekt Red, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. like how many people were worked to death yeah. in the game mines. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. No. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the last act of this is real. It's a, it's, it's a real, uh, I don't know what to say. Like yeah. I was about to say it's a stinker, but that doesn't, it's yeah, there's tons of good up. stuff in it. Yeah. It's, it's it's just it's just not up to the standards. Yeah, no, no. Mm. doesn't hold together as well. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Murray writes via contact. Blood and wine is in a lot of ways a sequel to the events of the books, Tower of Swallows and the Lady of the Lake, respectively. Toussaint and the surrounding area are massively important to Geralt's personal story. Without getting into spoilers, it's kind of where he becomes an individual, independent of his role as a Witcher. Realizing that, he still struggles against his nature, everything he has been taught and knows now by instinct. It's more fuel that each of your endings are supported by the source material. Geralt could try to live his life peacefully, even as a witcher and, quote, retire. He wouldn't be the first to attempt to retire, that is. But there's a saying, no witcher has ever died in their own bed. Geralt has no evidence that it's even possible to die peacefully. Why would it be any different with himself? It's such a good ode to the books and its themes, regardless of what you choose. Both endings are good. Please don't fight dads. Um, P.S. The audiobooks are very good, in my opinion. And I'm sorry this response is so long. Also, Two Nights in Toussaint is my is the name of my funk slash synth synthwave fusion band TM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no uh, – I think he's talking about the, the whether Geralt retires. Yeah. As yeah. far as his dad's not fighting. And in this scenario, Cole and I – uh, it birthed him. Ding ding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we made him. Uh, Dad he, fight. He sprang Dad from, fight. from our loin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The uh, I like how Witcher can die in somebody else's bed. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Geralt spends a lot of time in other people's beds. So yeah, you can die in a hotel. <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> oh, sad. Witcher's oh. gonna like commit suicide in hotels in Tulsa, <laughs> like like a traveling salesman. That's so sad. Yeah, I'll tell you right, huh? You know, and then just <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah um <laughs> so yeah and and that gets to something i said at the end of the uh main quest episode like uh for for as much as the end of blood and what blood and wild landed for me there is a uh a hypothetical or putative version of me that had read the books and followed the uh um and followed his tale and had it land that much harder for him mm-hmm. so i'm just i'm just curious yeah. i i want to read those books but again time yeah i i started reading the first one and kind of fell off it and i'm looking to read it in the future yeah i just haven't haven't done it yet yeah so throw throw another little shout out here for jeremy's uh, podcast silver mm-hmm. for monsters yeah yeah that's going through those books uh paul says by contact hearts of stone is arguably the best single piece of witcher content in any medium so i didn't envy blood and wine the task of following up on it 
And while it doesn't reach the same heights, I think Blood and Wine accomplishes the perhaps more remarkable feat of servicing fans and capping off the franchise without feeling cloying or unearned. Blood and Wine is essentially a victory lap, a triumphant send-off to Geralt where the tone is lighter and the stakes are markedly lower than the main game. The overworld combat theme captures this perfectly, combining a wistful-sounding female vocal line with triumphant strings. For honor, for, for Toussaint is the name of the song, and there's a link. Uh, but unlike similar game expansions, Blood and Wine manages to combine, combine this tone with a story that packs its own punch. My eternal point of comparison is Mass Effect 3's Citadel DLC, which shares the same lightness of tone and indulges in similar fan service, but lacks a serious core plot uh, to make that fan service stand out and feel meaningful. And what fan service Blood and Wine delivers? I initially rolled my eyes when Regis showed up, wondering how the game could possibly explain away the utterly and truly final obliteration he'd suffered in the last novel. <laughs> really, the game never quite justifies it to my satisfaction, but the characterization of Regis is, is, oh, is so of a piece with the source material that I found myself simply not caring anymore. Similarly, the core plot resuscitates the Curse of the Black Sun, a bizarre retelling of Rapunzel from the first Witcher book, but brings back brings it back with such style that I simply didn't mind being pandered to. What truly makes Blood and Wine stand out for me, however, is that it closes a thematic loop that has been toyed with across the franchise. That is, Geralt as a knight-errant in the turning of an age. Throughout the books and games, the core dichotomy of Geralt is that he's always done knightly deeds, slaying monsters and protecting the defenseless, and yet society treats him as a vagab vagabond and derelict. Geralt internalizes that treatment, seeking refuge in indifference and happily playing the role expected of him. The irony is that the only appreciable difference between Geralt and a knight is, pay is a payment plan. <laughs> a knight receives a life of luxury and privilege and expects no individual reward, whereas Geralt is paid on delivery. There are several times in the books where this comes into starker relief. My favorite of these is when Geralt is knighted by the Queen of Riv uh, Rivia for his exemplary and accidental service, becoming Sir Geralt of Rivia, and coincidentally legitimizing the made-up title he had taken for himself as a witcher. <laughs> Blood and Wine makes this subtext explicit in the quaint fairy tale Duchy of Toussaint. It puts Geralt in knightly tournaments, tests him against the chivalric uh, virtues, and grants him a peer's estate. It sends Geralt off into the sunset after seven books and three games, finally accepting the mantle of true knight, or at least not protesting it that loudly. This sounds saccharine and on the nose even as I write this, but somehow in the context of the series, that feels earned. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said. Yeah. Thank you. Like, that's a great, that's a, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And th that, that's just context that I didn't know from the books. Like that's longer than the responses I usually put onto the notes here, but that offers a perspective that we just don't have. And I think mm -hmm. that that, that, you know, I, I can, I can just borrow some of the heat off of that and say like, yeah, good on them. Good, good on them for, for, for finally, for finally resolving that tension. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of, you know, that's, that's this really well observed, like this interesting idea that like, and I don't know how explicit it is in the, the book and how much of this is Paul, Paul's insight, you mm -hmm. know, but just like that, uh, just this idea that like, yeah, why I, I do all the good shit, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I you know, I'm doing all the good shit, man. Yeah. Just cause I'm like, they only got weird ass eyes. Like get off my ding dong, you know, Please. the, uh, yeah. So, uh, I th yeah, that's, that's really well observed. Yeah. So. Um, I don't have anything to add on top of that. Yeah. Um, and finally here, Sam writes in saying, I felt that you missed some of the thematic depth in the happy ending of Blood and Wine, here referring to the resolution with Anna and Sienna. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd like to share why it resonated with me so well and it deserves a fairer shake than you gave it on the podcast. When you find the magic ribbon with the girl who sells flints, Sienna mentions that the master illusionist gave it to her for her protection, but, but she bristles at how it's never done her any good. 
She's had a hard life, and almost no one looked out for her as a child. In short, she's living with trauma. Buying the supposedly useless ribbon back, you Gwent, uh, just because it'll make, make her feel better, is the first in a series of events that, Sienna, uh, that teaches Sienna the extent of the compassion others are willing to give her, and the extent to which she deserves compassion. Later, when the illusionist ribbon saves her from death, it reveals one way that there were people looking out for her. This is a powerful counter to the worldview Sienna took on from her trauma. So the reason that you need to go to the Enchanted Book to get the good ending is not so that the player can learn her story, but so that Sienna can heal some of the trauma that she's endured. It's a crucial detail that, no matter what, Duchess uh, Anarietta offers compassion to Sienna, but only in one of the endings is Sienna ready to accept that love. And in the end, the people who abused her are dead, while her devoted sister is rightfully spared. Yeah, I, I think that, like, that makes sense, but I think that the game, like, didn't do a good... I still don't think the game does a good job with that. I still it think just, it's sloppy. It just doesn't lay enough track, right? Yeah, like, the, making, exactly. Like, yeah, that, that, that does, it doesn't buy that. Yeah. So, like, yes, that's a thing that follows, and that is that is what they are going for. Yeah, that's a good, like, and that's I, a, that's a good explanation. Like, I having not done that quest, like, I can, I can see that being the aim. So, thank you. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, me too. But I, I think that like her being like, you know, oh, I don't like this ribbon. It never did anything for me. Like you weren't fucking wearing it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's been stuck in a magical land while you went and got abused and like did all this stuff. And yeah. also it's literally like a magic MacGuffin that makes you immune to death. Yeah. Death. Like it is like it's, you know, the idea that like th that is too abstract for me to pull an emotional core from. We never meet that wizard. No, you know who did that like that relationship doesn't really exist it reads as a plot contrivance because it's just like oh yeah a wizard made me a magic shield mm -hmm. you know like and she never like reflects on that like it's never becomes a thing where her with her where she's like you know what like this person you know my <laughs> maestro mysterio was actually extremely important to <laughs> maestro me mysterio. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i don't like it's not a character right so like yes that that is i think what they are going for but there's just huge pieces missing in that in that story yeah you know, so and and that stuff's important for it having that kind of like thematic like resonance, like her coming off as as traumatized and healing, like that can be a thing that is true, but it it's important how it the story is told, not just yeah. what happens. And just you know, I mean, and and how the story is told. I think you just have to spend more time with her than if you just go on that one quest and learn a little bit about her backstory. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it is just one act of kindness that you extend to her that is going to unravel an entire lifetime of, of, of trauma and learned behavior that you cannot trust people who say they love you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like it's it's just, real quick. It's, it's extremely quick and doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it buys it. And I've been thinking about, about what bothers me about the fact that the good ending is hidden behind this choice. You know, not only to, uh, you know, talk to this <laughs> vendor and play Gwent and buy this and, and buy this ribbon. But, you know, when you're choosing a branch in the path, you are asked to um, either. <laughs> OK, so here's what happens. Detlef is holding the city hostage. Siana is held in captivity. You are asked to make a choice either to go around Detlef and, you know, go above his head and force the issue without delivering what he wants or to trust Detlef. And go grab Sienna and take her to him. It is not a like you're you're not making a choice about Sienna. Like at no point like was I really yeah, consi yeah, considering yeah. that. The choice is whether or not to trust Detlaf. And I've been yeah. all, all that I've seen <laughs> was that Detlaf is not is not trustworthy. It yep. is super weird to have to have the theme of the ending of the story. 
you know, about Sienna's redemption and her overcoming, you know, a, a lifetime of abuse be hidden behind a choice about Detlaf, this person who has demonstrated that he is not redeemable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and part of the reason why that sucks, like, I agree with you completely. Like, and, and, that, and part of the reason why it sucks is because up in this point, like Sienna's not even a character until pretty late Yeah. in the main story. So like, even if it had been a choice about Sienna, like we don't know enough about her to like make a considerate choice. Yeah. It doesn't have the kind of feeling like, you know, Olgird so well, yeah. you know, not to keep comparing it to like the best you know <laughs> DLC that's ever been made. Right. But like, you just know him and you know, even when you're just not talking to him, like you go do things that have to do with him, mm-hmm. you know, like you get to know him through his works, <laughs> you know, in, 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 in a way that like you understand Gwyn from going through or in, in Orlando. Right. Right. You know, like you get that that never happens with Sienna. Right. You know, like everything you get about Sienna is in that storybook. Yeah. Like literally all of it's there. So even if the idea is not, you know, like Sam says, like, it's not, the choice is not to go into the storybook to learn about her. It kind of is because like, yes, the decision is what happens there, but you have nothing to base this decision on or support it unless you go and learn about her. Mm-hmm. And it is like this weird info dump punctuated by like boss fights, Yeah, you know, and jokes like it's fun. It's cool, but it, it's not, um, I, it do, I don't think it works. Like it, it just doesn't, uh, the track is just not laid. You know, it, yeah. it is a confused story that starts off about being about Detlaf before throwing Detlaf in a garbage can <laughs> and saying like, actually Detlaf is not, you know, and there, we, there's some talk in the Slack that was like, you know, kind of interesting where like, uh, Paul, you know, again, who like wrote in, uh, who, who was a big Witcher fan. We were talking, uh, in the Slack about that, you know, saying like Detlaf is there to be a, um, like Detlaf Regis and Sienna are both are all there to be comparisons about like whether you can deny your nature, right? Like Detlaf can't, Mm-hmm. You know, but Sienna can and Regis can, right? you know, as a thing. And like, you know, we talked about that during the episode a little bit. Like the fact that that laugh can't is kind of interesting, but it does mean that we spend a lot of time asking the question and then answering it. And then right at the very end, there's a new question about Sienna. Like, how does this apply to Sienna? And maybe you won't actually know, though. You know, like maybe you don't actually get the information to answer that question, Mm -hmm. but we spend so much of it answering it about that laugh. Yeah. You know, that by the time it's answered, there's just not enough game left to answer it about somebody else. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah I, I disagree. I, th- I think that I still think that that's like I think that is a good I think that's what they wanted. Yeah. yeah. But I, I would disagree as whether that's what they achieved. Yeah. And I, I, feel, I feel bad arguing with you in absentia. Um, so I want to like just say like, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're describing. I wish that that was what the what, what they delivered. Like, because, yeah. or at because least that, like, you know, what I experienced. I wish yeah, I experienced yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, thanks everybody. Thank you uh, for writing in. Um, if you have things to write uh, to say about Baldur's Gate two, that's December 15th. If you have things to say about the game, we're going games we're going to announce next. That's going to be January 15th. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what we're playing in January, Gary. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. So, uh, we, I don't, did we talk about an order? Um, we hadn't talked about an order. Uh, however, I think I'm comfortable saying we should do river city ransom first. Yeah, by for the NES. Yeah, uh, a, a game I've wanted to do for seven years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely and also a game that has, I've grown scared of redoing because I, I like this game a lot and I yeah. just wonder if I still like it. Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, we're gonna do that. Um, do you know we're gonna we need a breather mm-hmm. episode after doing Baldur's Gate two, which is huge, and before doing a really huge game in January, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, um, but yeah, River City Ransom yeah. for the the original NES version. Yeah. Um, I might check out the GBA version. 
Uh, it, it's or, it's very similar, but the economy's fucked. So don't don't oh, don't, okay. don't don't no. play uh don't play the GBA version as your main one because it'll be way too hard. Okay, yeah, yeah. I might just I've never played it, so I might just like pop in and look at it. Oh yeah, but do, mostly I'm I'm looking forward to revisiting the NES version. Yeah, do 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 that. Pop pop in and revisit River City Ransom DX. It's a it, it's kind of a real uh a real bummer of a port because I was very mm. excited about it and it is not balanced right. That's a bummer. Yeah. Um, after that, we're going to be doing a, uh, so this month we actually have a couple of patron mm-hmm. episodes. Um, so after that, we're going to be, doing, uh, Mike, uh, who's patronized us doing owl boy. Yeah. The, uh, the indie platformer. Yeah. The, the, the indie platformer that was a long time in development. Like this is a hell of a passion project on the part of its team. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, Mike, uh, Mike has, uh, requested that we play this and I'm looking forward to it. It's one that kind of was on my radar, but fell off. Me too. Yep. Me too. And one of my kind of goals and, you know, a little bit of this happened with October, but is to do more indie stuff yep. for the show. I don't want to do like really obscure things. And mm-hmm. I understand like a lot of people listen, you know, they like listening to things they've played, mm-hmm. but also like, you know, you know, Kotaku or not Kotaku, like, you know, IGN headline from 2007, indie gaming is here to stay. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, there's just like a, so many, like the, the line is so blurred. Yeah. You know, and like you know, the, the perennial example I always use for that is Hollow Knight, but like also Shovel Knight stuff. Yeah. A lot of people ask whether we'd ever do the Shovel Knight DLCs like I would love to, mm-hmm. you know, like those games are amazing. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want to give them the treatment that we give yeah. things, um, you know, so the uh, uh, doing a little bit more like like big indies, you know, not necessarily going for super obscure stuff, but doing like kind of like big weight indies. I mean, ga- like games that you have absolutely, absolutely heard about on other video game podcasts. Like yes. if you're if you're listening to us, there's a high likelihood that you've got at least another another one in the in the rotation. And yeah, they talked about Owlboy when it came out. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, and then finally, uh, during January, do, we're doing kind of an exception. We have another uh, patron episode. We kind of got behind on these, so we're doing a couple of them in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we're gonna we have a guest episode. Been a minute since we've done one of those as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Matt is going to join us for two episodes to talk about Final Fantasy X. What? What? But you what? guys, a JRPG in, in January. First off, uh, we did Final Fantasy VI in January of last time, and nobody complained then. Yeah, true. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it was like six years ago. Yeah. yeah we, then, yes, we still did it. <laughs> then we did Final Fantasy Tactics. There was a time when we did two uh, JRPGs a year. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then I got sick. I got <laughs> sick. The, uh, the, so the usually, so just for people who like do patronize us and just to like clarify, like usually we will not do long games like this, mm-hmm. uh, for guests and stuff, but like the two things is like what, like the, the simple truth of it is it's more than saying we won't do long games. It's kind of like, let's not do games that we kind of don't want to play and, and do for that long. Mm-hmm. And I think I've realized that like, I'm, I'm replaying it now and I'm enjoying it. Uh, even though the beginning is really poorly paced out of all of the final fantasies that you know ps2 or earlier it's kind of amazing actually like usually you think like first disc <laughs> is, is is good like final fantasy 9 has that like perfect first disc and final fantasy 10 is so fucking slow in the beginning yeah um but it's still fun yeah um i think 18 months is the magic number for me for a traditional jrpg yeah because like i said i was in the mood for it mm-hmm. um you know in- i wasn't this summer you know, and then, and then near bit me in the dick, but like I was, I was in the, I was in the mood. I was like, man, this sounds good. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, I want to like kind of just be taken on a real linear ride with some mm-hmm. really bad clothing, but like fun <laughs> battle systems and like, you know, you know, a story that gets good. Yeah. You yeah. know, but I want to look at some really terrible outfits. Yeah. The, uh, the, the battle system in Final Fantasy I think is like uniquely extremely good too. It's just super to, good. Just in terms yeah. of managing turn order and things like that. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh the, 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 this is a good one that is not like firing up Final Fantasy IX, which is more bog standard than this, but has an amazing and, story, you know. And even FF9 has like 
really cool character build options. This has at least that, yes. you know, the character build option. This is not like uh, booting out Final Fantasy Four, which like I also like, but mm-hmm. it's very standard. Yeah, you know, um, or even Seven, mm-hmm. which is much closer to standard. This is much more interesting uh, tactically, uh, you know, and just like getting some joy out of just like how much of an eyesore Xanarkand is, like how uh, <laughs> just watching it be the, destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, and just and just like yeah, tear down this fucking white castle of a city, <laughs> just like disgusting, gross-looking, dumb city. Um, but also, like, uh, uh, Titus is very funny in that, like, that that I didn't realize this when I played it when I was younger. I just like didn't question this, and now it's now that I see it, it's like so obvious. Mm-hmm. Is he has a sin sickness, so he doesn't know what anything is. But he also forgot what fucking words mean. Like he <laughs> he can he can hear. I think he has a superpower where he can hear whether something's a proper noun or not. Uh huh. You know, because he'll they'll be like, yeah, we a guardian, and he'll be like, what's a guardian? <laughs> and like, you know what that word fucking means? <laughs> like like context clues. He just like he lost. That's the thing he lost from the sin sickness is even the, the beginning of being able to think of like. And he's always saying things like that. Like, what is a crusader? And I'm like, well, it's somebody who Chris like you know what that word means, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, a temple you know so, <laughs> he's just constantly saying shit like that and i just want to like grab do, 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 him and do, do, shake do, do, him by his like multiple vests so it's, it's probably a choice so uh final fantasy has always had a proper noun problem taken to extremes <laughs> in the uh, the fabulous nova crystallis or whatever it is way too many proper <laughs> nouns in that i think it's probably an economy thing where the writers didn't just want to have have to say instead of what's a guardian say i know what a guardian is but in this context it sounds important so in this world can you tell me what a guardian actually does not just a guardian but these ones that you're talking about right now thank you i mean maybe but also it's literally like we protect that you know we're we're like the summer is going to go on a dangerous quest and we're her guardian uh-huh what's the guardian okay like yeah. if you can't connect those dots like yeah get fucked with the boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sometimes it is, it is that i also think too i'm kind of glad they didn't say like you know we're called like you know the scarlet league or whatever you know they could have yeah. just made up you know, we're, we're Blitz 2000. Like, they could have just made up names mm. for things. And they use more commonplace words. But it just makes Titus look like the biggest idiot in the world. <laughs> and then it's it's a, I'm getting a lot of laughs between that and then it switching to, it, like, the real self-serious narration mm-hmm. that just says everything that happens. Like, yeah. it's just like, he'll do that. And then he'll be just like, and that was the moment I really knew I wanted to be a guardian. Like, yeah. right after he's told what a guardian is. Yeah. And it's, like, real dramatic. It's very mm-hmm. funny. And it sounds like I'm just making fun of it, but I am actually like, I'm enjoying it too, but also mm-hmm. it's a little bit goofy. Yeah. So, and, it, and, and the, uh, the end of this game when I first played it is one of the very few games to, like make me missed up. So mm-hmm. I'll say, I, you know, I, I'm not expecting that again, but just know that like that I recognize that this eventually has more emotional half than it starts with. Yeah. So, yep. So I'm excited about this. Um, it's been a long time. I think that final fantasy 10 is one of the final fantasy games. I have not played the least of, but I've replayed the fewest number of times. I've only played it once yeah. all the way through. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think I've only uh, replayed it once. Uh, yeah. I've only played it once as well. I think mm-hmm. maybe I made a couple of like just kind of vague attempts and got stymied by that opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people who do, do patronize us or who want to pick games and are like, Oh, the, you know, rubbing your hands together and being like, yeah, you know, it's it's time for Dragon Quest Eight. Just know that, like, we always ask people to do multiple picks, mm-hmm. and we just kind of pick the one that sounds the best and will fit in the schedule. Yeah, the best. So, like, don't feel like you're being discriminated against if you throw Dragon Quest Eight and we're like, ah, you know, we just did a really long game and then we're not in the mood to do yeah. an eight-hour, you know, real basic JRPG. Like, ask and ask you to pick something that's like twenty, twenty-five hours. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's that's January. I'm excited about it. Um. And yeah, 
and have it, and having fun with the revisit. So, yeah. Um, so I think that's everything, uh, at least in terms of schedule stuff. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you want to back us, if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash duckvtv. That's how you get to select episodes and guest on mm-hmm. episodes like that. Um, mm-hmm. And it makes a big difference for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for your calendar clearing purposes, uh, Duckstream is the weekend of December 15th. Yeah. So, so. we uh, will have further announcements as far as like content. Mm-hmm. Of such, but right now, you know, it's uh, and typically we start at six, so six p.m. that Friday uh, to six p.m. Saturday. No, yeah. it'll be uh, West Coast, six p.m. Saturday to six p.m. Sunday, mm-hmm. East Coast or mid Midwest. Yes, uh, yeah, d- 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 Duck Feet East is what I call us yes. over here. The, yeah. the, the the collective, the 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 the, the triangle or the quadrangle between between <laughs> between Cincinnati, Texas, and uh, Louisiana. We're Duck Feet yeah. East. Yeah. So the, uh, uh, you know, again, clear your calendars. That's going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and as always, we're, we're partnering with the same charity. So all proceeds that go to the Transactive Gender Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, more information will come, but just keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Like, and uh, yeah. I think so. Um, is there anything that we're forgetting, Gary? I don't think so. I think that's it. Cool. This, is a minute, this is a spicy uh, response episode. Yes, it is. But uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll see you next week with, uh, with, you know, Baldur's Gate 2. Yeah, Baldur's Gate 2 Generalities. Yeah, and and we should do the the tutorial. Oh yes, the opening dungeon because uh, like otherwise, like I mean, it, it is a big game, Cole. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, so we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.